and welcome to the second installment of this special podcast series in which I will be talking about Ithaca Fantastic 2016. My name is Byron Bixler, and I am one half of the Cinephile Delinquents. So yesterday I talked about the four films that I saw on the first day of the festival here in Ithaca, New York, and today I was able to see three films. Uh, so <clears throat> if, if everything went as planned, I would have seen five uh, things kind of fell apart. Um, uh, not to go through everything, but uh, at a very late night last night, uh, writing about um, the films that I saw and kind of getting all that together. And so, um, you know, intended to just kind of take a nap real quick and uh, then go back out, but uh, slept through my alarm. So uh, I missed the first two films that I meant to see, so I ended up just seeing the last three instead. Uh, hopefully that doesn't happen again. Uh, tomorrow I'm planning on seeing a full slate of five so uh, anyway, the three that I did see uh, were interesting, and so I'm going to talk about them here. And I'm not going to go through uh, this time. I'm not going to mention every single film that I missed. Uh, you can go to the Ithaca Fantastic site for all of that information because um, it would just be a little too much, a little, little too much information. But so anyway, uh, as I said last time, this series is just kind of meant to um, expand, I guess, on some of my thoughts that I that I write in the uh, the recap coverage article. Um, I just got back from uh, Cinemopolis a little while ago, and so I haven't written it yet. So uh, some of what I say might already be in there, might end up being in there. Um, but this is really just kind of meant to um, expand on some of those ideas that I'm I'm only writing a paragraph or two. So this is just to give you a, a better idea. And just just to kind of ramble, um, just to kind of ramble informally about uh, my feelings about the film. So um, consider these kind of un unrefined thoughts. So the first film I saw was Dearest Sister, which is a Lao film. Uh, the person who presented the film said that it was the thirteenth film uh, that has ever been made in Laos. Um, which is kind of amazing. So that's a film industry that's really in its infancy right now. And it is the first, first or second, um, oh no, Maddie, Maddie Doe or Maddie Do, the, um, director of Dearest Sister is the first, uh, Laotian female director. And, uh, I believe this is her second film. So <clears throat> I'm not really sure how to explain what this is about. Uh, like I said, I didn't get a lot of sleep, and so going into this, just like last time, really, my first film uh, was kind of a struggle to get through. Um, the The pace is very slow, so um, I was really fighting to kind of stay awake at times. Um, and the thing is, I'm fine with a slow pace in general. It's just, I need I need something that'll interest me, something that'll make me think... Um, this I just had a hard time wrapping my head around. So I believe it had something to do with uh, a, a woman from the countryside coming and working for a woman in the uh, in the city, and uh, the woman who she comes to work for uh, begins to go blind, and as she goes blind, she starts to see and hear these spirits around her, and so it's basically a drama. Uh, with some supernatural elements, very lightly. I wouldn't call this a straight-up horror movie. It becomes more horror-oriented 
probably well the last scene is kind of straight up horror but the most of the film is just a drama um with some social commentary in there a lot of it probably being stuff that i think he would understand better if you were from laos which i am not uh so i can only kind of assume what it's about but so um I wasn't really sure what to think about this. It, w- it was uh, hard to engage with, mainly because, although it was a slow pace, um, the scenes, for one thing, were really short. Um, I don't know what that was about, but free- we had so many scenes in this movie. It, it was a little over 100 minutes, I believe. One, 105 minutes, something like that. But I felt like almost every scene was really quickly run through. Um, they were very quick scenes. And so it was hard for me to really get that breathing room with the characters and with the content to really make it resonate. Instead, it was kind of it was kind of running very quickly uh, through this story, and I wasn't uh, quite able to figure out what was going on or what the character motivations were. I sound very unprofessional right now. Um, <laughs> I, I want to say that I just wasn't paying attention enough, but I was really trying with this. Um, I understand it to be about class and to an extent also about post-colonialism. And I'm not just saying that because it's been written about in reviews. I am saying that because uh, there's a character in this who is European. Um, I'm not sure where he's from exactly, but he is uh, either the boyfriend or the husband of this woman living in the city. And there's talk at one point about, uh, oh, you need to get yourself a white boyfriend and all of this stuff. And he, he plays a very significant role in the film, and he's kind of an overbearing presence. He's kind of a dick. Um, he's making all these choices for uh, his wife or girlfriend. Again, I can't remember. Um, and um, I feel like he's supposed to represent something. There's a lot of talk of money in this film, which is where I get the class part. Um, This character who comes from the countryside becomes kind of enamored with the city uh, way of living and she she dyes her hair differently and gets a a smartphone and like gets a um, this fancy purse and all this stuff and starts to become more materialistic. But um, I think the most interesting stuff in this movie really is is from the supernatural stuff. because it gives it gives everything a different rhythm every time it comes up. Most of the film, I wouldn't say it's monotonous, but it is sort of one note in terms of the tone. Um, the drama feels really stagnant. Um, like, there aren't a lot of big moments. And I'm not looking for theatricality, per se, but I mean just something to... I, I can't think of the right word. To hit, let's just say, and... Something, nothing quite hit for me in the drama, in quotation marks. If you know what I mean, I know that's that's not the best way of putting it, but um, nothing really resonated, I should say. Uh, uh, so, so the supernatural stuff is what worked best for me. So we have uh, a number of sequences in which this character uh, begins hearing these whispers around her, and it's kind of faint, and it's they're doing some cool stuff with the sound design, and. Um, a um a spirit will kind of manifest in the room and it's always it's always out of focus and in the background and uh they're always accompanied with this kind of like floating matter around them if you've ever seen the devil's backbone per se with uh the Guillermo del Toro film from 2000 or 2001 
it's very similar to that in the way that they handle their their ghosts here. Um, it's just it, it adds a very different energy to every scene that they're in when this when they arrive and they're all kind of in the shadows and it's it is more disturbing like that than to just have them be typical ghouls who are just jumping out and trying to scare you. They you really get the sense that they're just kind of dragging themselves around and they're very sluggish and um they don't it's hard to say if they have an agenda exactly um oh yeah i completely forgot this entire element of the story um there's a whole thing about the ghosts um giving the lottery numbers to uh, one of the women um whenever she goes into this daze when they come around uh, she starts spouting all these numbers and the woman from the countryside sees these numbers and she, she enters them in for the lottery. And like every time that she enters them, she wins all this money. And so that's where all the money's coming from to her, for her to be materialistic. Um, and it's hard to say exactly what, what their intentions are by doing that. Um, there are some things in this movie about traditions. Um, at one point, uh, this, this character from the city cuts her hand and, uh, she has this special um, ointment. I don't know if you call it an ointment. It's just something from these these roots and leaves uh, and plants that is ground up and that into a paste and then put on her hand. And it's said to be um, it's said to be good for her, but it's not traditional medicine. And uh, she goes into a doctor, and the doctor's like, "Oh, this is giving you an an infection now, and so now you're going to be uh, fucked up for longer." So. Uh, that's another element to this film, but again, I didn't quite wrap my head around this, so I don't know if I can talk about it coherently. Um, <clears throat> that's really the extent of it. I should probably just leave it there and move on to the next thing. So the second film that I saw today was Headshot. And so let me just be straight up with this. Uh, this was probably my most anticipated film of the festival. Headshot is an Indonesian action film. This is grade A quality action filmmaking. Seriously, if you love action movies, if you even just slightly like The Raid, do not fucking hesitate and see Headshot. This movie is a fucking barrel of fun. It is so much fun. It's such a blast to watch. Um, the violence is is overkill kind of ultra-violence, right? It's like... Tarantino kind of violence where it's just blood spatter everywhere and um you know <laughs> uh, machetes getting buried in people's heads and just excessive stabbing and shooting and um shotguns to the face and all sorts of crazy stuff like that. So if you're if you're squeamish about gore or stuff like that, uh this is not your movie. There were a lot of people uh, uh reacting loudly to some of the kills in this movie. It's just brutal stuff. Um, and the villains in this movie, I haven't even talked about the plot. So the setup of, of this, the plot really doesn't matter that much. Uh, for movies like this, the plot is just kind of an excuse to have action, to have fights. Um, and so the plot isn't anything all that special. Uh, you have a, a character who washes up on the shore and uh, he's got a scar in his head or there's something messed up with his head. He's taken to a hospital. He's like in a coma for two months or something. He comes out of it. He doesn't remember his name. He doesn't remember anything about what happened. 
Uh, he's befriended by this this young doctor, um, and kind of starts uh, a relationship with her very quickly. Um, I don't know why she took to him so quickly. I guess just because we needed a, a, a romance, but whatever. Um, so he, he kind of gets embedded in this coastal community, and little does he know that the people um, who did this to him uh, have found out that he's not dead. Uh, he was a part of, and this isn't a spoiler, it's just, I just have to clarify that. Um, the people who did this to him, it was all part of a thing where he was a part of this crime group, uh, these mobsters, and he double-crossed them, or they double-crossed him, or something like that, and they ended up shooting him on a pier, and he went falling into the ocean, and they thought he was dead, and that was the end of that, but apparently that didn't kill him. Um, and so now they're they're coming to find him to finish the job, and um, at some point they take the, the lady doctor, and the rest of the film is like him trying to fight his way to her and defeat these guys who are led by this big bad guy. Of course, uh, like a lot of these fighting movies, it does have that tiered video game-esque structure where it's about escalating boss fights. Um, but it's not its not repetitive. It doesn't feel repetitive ever. The fighting choreography is so fresh every single time. Uh, you have a variety of different matchups. It's not just one-on-one hand, hand-to-hand fighting over and over and over again. You, you've got whole groups of people showing off, going off against each other with weapons, uh, either all guns or some guns and some hand, uh, like machetes or knives or scissors or whatever. Um, and then you've got like guns versus hands and one versus two, one versus three, uh, all sorts of different matchups. And uh, if you love action movies, really, like the action in this is so invigorating and energized. It's amazing. Just the camera work, the way it moves around these people as they fight. And it doesn't do that stupid thing that a lot of Hollywood action movies do where it's just cutting every split second. Um, it doesn't excessively use slow motion either. Uh, it is it is very sparingly used, and when it is used, it's at the perfect times. Um, and the kills are just brutal, but they're creatively brutal. I, I don't even know where to start with some of these action sequences. Maybe uh, a, a police, there's a, there's a scene in a police station where he's being held. He, he got arrested falsely because they think he was a part of this. A bus massacre that happens and that's another whole thing to talk about but um he's at this police station and uh the, the bad guys come for him and there's this these guys who come into the room um this guy with a big machete and uh he kills the police officer who's in there with him and he comes in and our our main character eco is uh chained to the table and the guy he has nowhere to go basically so the guy comes up to him and Ways like kicks the table up and is like dodging him in all these creative ways and uh, uses the table as a shield and then gets him to uh, cut his chain somehow and and then these two guys come into the police station one with a shotgun one with a machine gun and he goes at it with them for a long time one of them just hulks out at one point um, he blocks I don't, it just sounds like I'm I'm just describing like uh action figure 
just stupid Saturday morning cartoon stuff, but um, I know it's the testosterone. <laughs> um, it's it's goofy. It's goofy, of course. It's silly. Like if you do if you if you look at it objectively, you're like, this is really silly and over the top. But look, it's really creatively done action. So you have the sequence where he's fighting this guy, and he he comes at him with a machete, and the guy blocks the machete with his forearm somehow like the machete lodges in his forearm and he forces him back with it um and then um yeah there's too much stuff that happens in that scene for me to even remember um there's a moment in this that levels the that equals the brutality of the um of the elevator scene in drive in which he stomps the guy's head in there's a scene that's similar to that um, but now I'm just kind of rambling. Anyway, uh, I should probably wrap it up. This is, this is a really fun movie. Um, if you, if you like action movies, if you like the raid, even a little bit, like I said, come and see this, see this at some point. It is unmissable. Uh, the story itself is whatever and disposable and kind of ends on a sappy note that uh, I could have had, I, I could have done without it. Um, not just because it is emotional, but just because it, it feels out of place. Um, it feels like it's trying to force something into to something that didn't really have a place for it to begin with. Um, for a movie that's so brutal, it's trying to balance it out with this this uh, emotion that just doesn't come off right. And uh, the characters are too superficial for you to really care about. Um, the way they develop the relationship is just whatever. It's not that interesting. So... Uh, but from an action standpoint, this is grade A action, and you're not going to get a whole lot better out there. As far as just this year alone, this is some of the best action I've seen all year. So moving on to the third film I saw, uh, this was Long Weekend, which is from 1977. It is an Australian film. Uh, This is part of a retrospective series that they're doing. It was the midnight screening. And uh, so the story is we have a, a couple who are going on a long weekend, an extended weekend. They're going out to the beach, this kind of secluded area. And uh, it's clear that uh, they're going through some problems. They're bickering angrily. They're really taking sharp barbs at each other. Uh, and it's, you can just feel the friction. It's very intense between them. And uh, and so they go out to this beach, and um, immediately... They're just antagonizing uh, nature in general. Um, to go along with Wolfen, which I talked about yesterday, uh, this movie is very much the uh, when nature attacks movie, but in a good way, in a really good way, not over the top where you have like fucking groundhogs jumping up and biting someone's balls or something. Like it's not, it's not slapsticky. This isn't furry vengeance. Um, this is actually a really well paced out, paranoid, really quite disturbing actually as it plays out, a film that uh, kind of reminds me of Deliverance in a way, and kind of reminds me of Wake and Fright, and just in terms of the way that it it expresses its horror. Um, man, the seventies really, the seven seventies people knew how to make thrillers then, but so. They go out to this beach, and they have instances where, like, on the way to the beach, the uh, the guy and this couple throws a cigarette out the window carelessly, and it starts a fire. He hits a, a, a 
a kangaroo on the road and um, just various things that they do, just kind of carelessly throwing things out the window. Uh, he goes at one point when he's at the beach, he just kind of runs around with his gun like this alpha male guy and just starts shooting wantonly at things. He's just playing out this this hunter fantasy. Um, and he's not even hunting. He's just shooting just for the fun of it or not quite the fun. Just it's like empowering to him. Um, and he's, he's out surfing and he's, he's just kind of like, yeah, man, I'm asserting my manhood out here. Um, but he's just kind of being a prick about it and the way that he's, um, dealing with, um, the nature that surrounds him. And, uh, meanwhile, his, his wife has, uh, found this eagle egg and she's holding on to it for some reason, uh, instead of just leaving it where she found it. Um, and various things like that, just, you could say microaggressions, uh, to, towards nature. And some of them really not micro. They're just like, um, directly antagonizing nature. There's a scene where when he sprays his bullets all around, he, he just shoots a duck in a pond uh, and it like cuts over to where the duck is and it's just like a duck with its head blown off and its uh, ducklings are just kind of paddling around uh, without direction. And it's a really disturbing image, um, but it really kind of drills in like just how much of an asshole this guy is. So over time, nature is kind of making little gains on them. They're out there with their dog, I should say, as well. And um, over time you can feel nature closing in on them in, in very small ways. Um, at one point he's swimming out there and his wife is on the beach and she sees this big dark shape kind of, um, moving towards him very slowly. And it's not a shark, it's something else. And we're not really sure what it is. Um, he comes back at one point and he shoots it and there's just all this blood in the water, but we don't actually see the thing itself. Um, birds just come out of the sky out of nowhere uh weird things start happening where uh, he has like this harpoon gun that just shoots by itself at one point um even though he had it on safety um a lot of little things start happening and they all just start piling up and it adds to this paranoia that just builds and builds and builds and builds uh until uh, we get to this point where it's like they are trapped they are trapped by nature and nature is like directly punishing them. There is a sense of karma in this movie. Absolutely. A sense of, sorry, hit my microphone here. Um, there is a sense of karma. There is a sense of some cosmic justice playing out that they can't escape. And I love stories like that. Um, it's just unrelenting, unforgiving, and uh, these characters are put through hell, and you know, you really don't feel that bad for them because they are not the best people. And in addition to uh, what they're doing, although they're not good people, here's the thing. If, if you're not going to give us protagonists to root for, you need to at least give us protagonists that are interesting to analyze, that are interesting to think about what's going on in their head and why they're behaving the way they are. And this movie does that. These are not likable people, but they're fascinating their interactions over time, again, in just very small little ways, a line here and there, a line here and there, we learn about their background as a couple and just why there is this friction in the first place. Um, and we see them going back and forth between fighting and 
um, being very intimate with each other, uh, as you would expect uh, it would be in a relationship. It's not all one thing. It is going back and forth. But here it's particularly volatile when it goes uh, to the fighting. And you you come to learn why, and I'm not going to say why, um, it is kind of a, a shocking admission when it comes out. And you're like, whoa, this is what that this was all about. Um, it's a fascinating film. Uh, it It is probably, yeah, it's got to be the best film that I saw today of those three. Uh, somehow I'd never heard of this movie before. I'm so glad that Ithaca Fantastic put this on because like Wolfen, I probably never would have seen this. Um, and I hear about a lot of movies, but somehow this had completely escaped my uh, radar. So if if you can find it somewhere, I don't know if there's a DVD of it or where it's available, but if you can find it and you like 70s thrillers, you like when nature attacks movies that have a lot of psychological elements and movies that get under your skin in very subtle ways, because uh, again, it's not overt in any way. It's very much about small things building up over time. You don't have just animals jumping out of the forest trying to bite people's heads off or just one monstrous animal stalking them or whatever. It's a lot more subtle. There's there's one scene in particular where this thing, this thing that he shoots in the water is a recurring element throughout the film. Um, there's one point where they find it on the beach and they bury it, and it's like it keeps coming into play in ways that you wouldn't expect. Um, and it's kind of the centerpiece of the whole, of the whole thing. So anyway, yeah, long weekend, um, fantastic headshot, also fantastic. Um, mostly localized in the action era. The, the rest is just kind of passable. Uh, and dearest sister, um, I have mixed feelings about it, let's say, but again, I was very tired. So that could be a part of it. Um, maybe just give it the benefit of the doubt. So anyway, um, Yeah, so I'll be back down there tomorrow. They will be starting up at 2. And like yesterday, I I shouldn't go through my whole list of films. You'll find out when I post this, uh, when I post that podcast special. So uh, if you're in the Ithaca Ithaca area and you are looking for some great films, you're looking for something to do this weekend, uh, definitely come out to Ithaca Fantastic. There's some really interesting stuff playing. And uh, it's all going to be wrapping up on Sunday night. So you got two more days to do this. So um, come on out and watch some cool movies, man. Uh, or woman, sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, so um, I'll see you next time. Once again, I'm Byron Bixler, one half of the Cinephile Delinquents. Uh, thanks again for listening. Bye. <laughs>